Good evening again. It's good to have each one here tonight. We continue our study in the series of lessons that we've entitled Worthy to Suffer. It's a study of persecution of God's people from the past and the present and what we might expect in the future. And it's a topic that was suggested to me, and I think it's a very relevant and very timely subject as we continue to witness some of the uh, very disturbing changes in our society that very well may lead to persecution uh, escalating and intensifying in our own country. When we talk about persecution, we want to find what we're talking about. Persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of uh, one's identification as a disciple of the Lord. And uh, that includes a wide range of opposition and affliction. It could um, be verbal harassment. It could be discrimination in education or in employment, in the workplace, uh, or in the marketplace with the buying of goods. It could be legal prosecution. It could involve uh, physical scourging or beatings, physical torture, confinement or imprisonment. It would include rape or slavery or death by many torturous means. And these are examples of the persecution that we're talking about in our lessons that God's people face and have faced throughout all the centuries. We begin in our study by emphasizing the fact that the people of God have always been persecuted from the beginning, as our Lord said in Matthew 23, verse 34 through 35, that it has happened ever since the blood of righteous Abel was spilled. Why was Abel killed? Well, we think about Cain and his jealous rage, but we're told we have divine commentary in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. said, Cain, who was, the, uh, was of the evil one, slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brother's was righteous. And he asks the question, or makes a statement, Do not be surprised then, brethren, if the world hates you. Why was Abel killed by his brother? is because Cain was of the evil one and his brother's ways, his brother's deeds was righteous. Abel was a righteous man. And those who are righteous have always been persecuted from the, from the very beginning. As Jesus said there in the parallel passage in Luke from the foundation of the world. Righteous. Who is righteous? Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says there's none that are righteous, no, not one. None of us righteous in that we're all sinners. All of us are in need of forgiveness. All of us need justification through the blood of Jesus Christ. But through that justification, we are reckoned as righteous. Not that we're perfect, but that we have been made righteous and we strive to follow the ways of God. And those who would do that are righteous. Abel was not a perfect person, but he was a righteous man as he strove to do the will of God. Cain did not do that. And in his jealousy, he being of the evil one, of Satan, slew his brother. And he says, therefore, don't be surprised that the world hates you. It's been that way from the beginning. God told of this and who was behind it. He foretold what was going to come. In the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, when he cursed Satan in the garden after the fall of man, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And that's a tremendous statement that's given to us there. In it we see the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ, the seed of woman, 
when he would bruise the head or crush the head, the power of Satan, but also in it we see the long continued struggle between the two. In that statement we see the conflict between Satan and his forces and Christ and his forces, a long continued struggle that continues even unto day between the righteous and the wicked. Throughout history, as we said, it's always happened. And they, even up to the first century when Jesus came into the world, the very Son of God, who was, and the only one who's ever been, perfectly righteous. And the world hated Him. And they crucified Him. They beat Him, they spat in His face, they crucified Him on a cross. And why? Because Satan was behind Him. He thought He'd overcome Him. He'd done everything through the centuries to keep this seed from coming into the world, used all kinds of wicked men from Pharaoh to Haman, to try to exterminate the the seed that the promise of God might fail. But he couldn't do it. Psalm 2 tells us that even though the Gentiles raged, God had set up His Christ and it wouldn't be deterred from accomplishing His purpose. When the Christ came into the world, then Herod, uh, Satan was used, used him to try to exterminate all the babies to try to kill the Christ. And God simply sent His child to uh, to Egypt till Herod died and brought him back. Then Satan through men tried to, uh, to tempt him. He even tempt, tried to tempt him himself. And yet uh, he, he failed. He finally saw that he was crucified and thought he was uh, victorious. But it was then through the resurrection that his power was crushed. But he's not completely without any power. Not yet. One day he will be. Jesus tells us that there's a place prepared called hell. A lake that burns with fire and brimstone that's prepared for the devil and his angels and those who are unrighteous whose names not found in the Lamb's book of life. They'll also be there. But the lake of fire is prepared for him. But until that time, he's still enraged against the people of God and has been through the centuries. It's like what we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, the end of that chapter. It talks about Satan, the serpent of old, the devil, who uh, was enraged with the people of God, those who kept the commandments of God, and those who kept the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he still makes makes and wages war with them today. Jesus predicted that the the disciples would be persecuted. They would hate them just as they had hated him. And we see that they did. They persecuted them, imprisoned them, beat them, put them to death. And just before Paul's death in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, Paul through the Holy Spirit, predicted a great persecution that was to come. He talked about, we talked about that last night, where he said that they would be perilous times to come, difficult times to come. And Christ, through the revelation to John, told that these things were going to come very soon. Things that were shortly to take place, he said in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Things that were near. And he warned the church at Smyrna that they were going to be cast into prison. They were going to be tested. They were going to find tribulation. He told them to be faithful unto death. And I'll give you a crown of life. Antipas at Pergamum had already been killed. In chapter 2 and verse 13. And John through the vision of the revelation in chapter 6 saw these that were going to be slain. He saw their souls under the altar. Those who had been beheaded for the name of Jesus Christ because of the testimony that they'd maintained. They were described in chapter 7 and verse 14. It's those who had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb who had come out of the great tribulation. 
And that's a very strong word we said there, the word tribulation. It means to have pressure, pressure from both sides. It's just like being in a vice. We talk about undergoing tribulation, the persecution, the affliction. It's very hard. We sang about it tonight. It's easy to sing a song like that and say we'll have the faith of our fathers who've gone before us and that it'd be a sweet thing that if we and our children could die from the name of the Lord, well, we need to be prepared for it. And that's what these lessons are about. You remember in the vision of John uh, in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, you had uh, the opening of the seven seals and the first four seals of the opening of each seal. There was a, there was a horse that would come forth. There were four horses. There was a white horse, a, black, a red horse, black horse, and a pale horse. The white horse represented the, the going forth of the gospel. And the going forth to conquer and to conquer with a bow in his hand. Talk about the gospel going forth and conquering the souls of men. But as a result of that, men would come in conflict with the world who wouldn't accept the gospel. And on the heels of that horse was a red horse with its rider who had a sword in his hand. Which represented the, the bloodshed and the persecution that would come. And following him was a black horse, one who had a scale upon it. It talked about, uh, representing the discrimination and the suffering that people would find as a result of standing for the truth. And of course, the pale horse representing death and Hades that, that followed with all the persecutions and the things that would befall uh, the nations as a result of rejecting God in his way. But the righteous, as many times they do, suffer right along with the wicked. And he was warning about those things and these things did come. These fierce trials came, especially under the Roman government, um, especially as these emperors, like Diocletian especially, uh, would force emperor worship and try to set up the old ways of Rome. And people would be called upon to deny Jesus Christ or to give their life. They were fed to, to the wild beast. They were crucified. They were burned as torches to light the night. Fierce persecution trials did come. Rest for persecution came during Constantine's reign, about 313. Constantine issued his Edict of Toleration and Christianity became a sanctioned religion. Worship became lawful. But the ceasing of persecution, though that was a blessing, the establishment of the church as a state religion became a curse because it brought and would bring further persecution, not from the government, but from those who would claim to be the church who had perverted its doctrine and its divine government. With the rise of papal power, severe persecutions came from the Catholic Church and later the Church of England. And those who dared to disagree with the false teaching and practices of the church were banned as heretics and countless thousands were tortured and slaughtered. We saw last night that their persecution became so intense that they started looking for other places to go. And, and when opportunities opened up in the, the new land of liberty, uh, they went there. Colonies of England were set up, but there wasn't much liberty for many years when it comes to religious persecution. The Church of England and such groups as the, the Puritans were ringleaders in persecution in that day and it continued up through the early 1800s. A lot of times I think we believe that this country has always been free of persecution. It's not been. In fact, there's only, we're, we're just a little over 200 years in this country that we've been free from, for the most part, from religious persecution. There's been some, 
but for the most part, only for 200 years. And we think that it could never return. We think that, that we're guarded from that. We are for the time, and we pray that, that it would continue, and we should. But it might not be God's will. I'm not here, and I don't want you to take it, that I'm trying to be a prophet, that I'm trying to predict what would come. I have no idea that only God, uh, to know anything that only God can know. But God does know, and God in His Word tells us that though we may not know what is to come in the future, that we must be ready for the future. And to do it, we need to pay attention to what's going on around us. And really, we observe from history that though there may be laws in the extent and degree of persecution, and in some parts of the world for a time it may be spared, history has shown that it has always returned. Always has. And that ought to cause us to set up and take notice. Which brings us to the subject tonight. Do not be surprised. Persecution in the world and the growing threat in America. When you think about it, Jesus has told us that we ought not be surprised. He said, you'll be hated by all because of my name. He's talking to his disciples, but that's recorded and observed for us as well. Don't be surprised. If you follow the one whom the Bible describes in John chapter 1 and verse 10, the one who the world through whom the world was made, and yet the world did not know him, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. If that's who you follow, if you follow the one who was made of no reputation, if you, were, if you follow the one whom the, the Scriptures prophesied that he would be the suffering servant of Jehovah, if you follow the one who was, had no stately form of majesty, but like a root out of parched ground, was smitten of God and afflicted, that's the way they esteemed him, who was led like a sheep to the slaughter, if that's your master, don't be surprised if they hate you. Paul said, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we're told not to be surprised. Peter talked to those people there. They were not to be surprised when he wrote to them, 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. He said, beloved, don't be surprised at the fire ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing was happening to you. It's not a strange thing for the righteous to be persecuted. It's happened, as Jesus said, from the foundation of the world. Abel, from the blood of Abel onward, the people of God have been persecuted. Righteous have been persecuted by the wicked. So he said, don't be surprised, as though it was some strange thing happening to you. And in the passage we read a while ago in 1 John chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, when he explained why Cain killed Abel because he was of the evil one and, and Abel was righteous, he says, therefore, don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. If you live a righteous life, if you live to be like Jesus, problem is maybe that we're not living like Jesus. We never face even any ridicule for standing and living for the Lord. Are we training our children to be like Jesus? How many children? Oh, not many people want to raise a, a child like that. A child that would be so interested in things if he was 
in a, a city by himself that he'd be interested in the things of God and be in the temple talking to people, talking to the man about spiritual things? Who would raise a child like that at 12 years old? I tell you, we better be raising our children to be like Jesus, hadn't we? I tell you, the television raises most children, or somebody else does, not parents. But we need to be prepared, and we need not be surprised if persecution comes our way. Don't be surprised. You know, as far as the world is concerned, when it talks about people who are persecuted, they use the word Christian in general. And I understand that uh, Christians, as referred to by the world, are not necessarily people who are following the will of God simply by following it and it alone for what they do and what they practice. But the point I want to make in this lesson is, is that those who persecute and who are backed by Satan make no distinctions. And so when we refer to and use some of the statistics as the world refers to as, quote, Christians, what I'm trying to do is simply make the point that among those, I don't know how many among those are true disciples of Jesus. I don't know how many throughout all the centuries where men have been persecuted and slaughtered how many of them are true disciples of Jesus Christ going to find their name written in the Lamb Book of Life? I don't know. That's not my business. But I know that among them, countless thousands were true to the Lord and are now waiting. Their souls are awaiting to be vindicated and clothed in glory. That's the picture that we have, I think, in Revelation 6 with the souls under the altar. So when we think about these examples, just keep that in mind. You know, when you, th you think about these atrocities that are happening all over the world, there are some religious research centers that said 75% of the world's population. 75%. Now, we, th we live in a place where we're not, we're not receiving it right now, so we don't think about it. We don't even, it doesn't cross our mind very much. Occasionally, we may pray for those in hard places, and that's about as much as we think about it. 75% of the world's population is facing religious restrictions. Again, how many among them are true disciples? I don't know, but they're there. And that's what they're facing in those areas. There's a place, uh, a nonprofit organization called Open Doors that monitors persecutions around the world. And they say that though those who claim some kind of allegiance to Christ each month, now this is each month, 322 are killed for their faith. Now these numbers really don't go along with what's recently been done with ISIS over in the Middle East. 322 are killed for their faith. 214 meeting places and personal properties are destroyed a month. 772 forms of violence are committed such as beatings and abductions and rapes and arrests and forced marriages each month. We look at the statistics concerning people who claim to be facing these things and you know, are we shocked? As I said as many times, I believe we come, become complacent and we feel as though it couldn't happen to us. And we see that even with these drastic atrocities that we see that ISIS is involved in that uh, nations as a whole don't really care. And the mainstream media are, are for the most part silent and we've not seen very much uh, 
indignation at all concerning, which tells us really what the world as a whole thinks about Christians, those who would claim allegiance to Jesus. What are some of the things that go on along, around the world? We'll only have time for just a few of them. But I want you to think about some of the persecution that's going on around the world. In Kazakhstan, many groups are being forbidden to hold their worship in, in their buildings because they've been locked down, claiming that the buildings ha, don't, don't have the status to be a religious building. They're using anything that they can to try to persecute them and keep them. And this is a, a country that's not supposed to be in the top 50 of persecution. You take those in Nepal. They are being discriminated against because of their faith. Nepal is uh, mainly a Hindu kingdom. Uh, there's a lot of Buddhist influence there too. It's a, it's a place that lies between India and China. And so it has it from both ways. Only about just a, less than 1.5% of the people claim to be Christians. And uh, they're uh, having very difficult times there, especially because of the earthquake. You remember that very devastating earthquake that took place back in April. I read just recently that there, were, uh, there was a church building where some bodies had been pulled from the rubble of the church building and there were at least two bodies still under the rubble that couldn't be removed and some non-Christian villagers protested and threw stones at church members who tried to camp and bank it fields outside there and so they were forced to go and sleep there on the bricks with the stench of those bodies. You take in Nigeria, recently two women have escaped the horrors of the uh, Boko Haram camp. And these, uh, one of these two women, was, was, her name was Laddie. And she was captured and brought to a house and she saw some, where she saw some other women and girls. Uh, she learned that her captors often took the men to the house and slaughtered them in front of them to intimidate them. And many were forced by the fighters to convert to Islam and they would rename them with Muslim names. Laddie refused to convert to Islam and they beat her. She was beaten for days and her legs were scarred and with welts from her beating that she endured in the house but she doesn't just have the physical scars. She's haunted by the frequent killings that she was forced to witness as they brought these men in before them to slaughter them in front of them. Uh, back in December, her captors told Laddie that her and the others were all going to be married off to uh, fighters within the next two weeks. While everyone was uh, kneeling in their uh, Islamic prayers, she went to uh, a toilet and escaped out through a window and ran uh, through the barbed wire and, and by the light of the moon and, and finally escaped. In Eritrea, on June the 9th, it was reported that 88 Eritrean Christians were kidnapped by ISIS trying to flee to Libya. And of this group that had been kidnapped, there were numerous children and at least 12 women Eritrea is an a African country. It borders Sudan and uh, uh, Ethiopia. 
It's a small place, it looks like, on the map. But they've got like 6.7 million people there. And they're governed by a dictatorial Islamic extremist group. The regime has arrested more than 138 uh, so-called Christian leaders just recently. Again, how many of these numbers include true disciples? I don't know. I continually try to hear brethren in foreign places so that uh, we might help or at least pray for them. Um, so many times I said, I think we pray for those in hard places and we do little to find out about them and see what we can do in their situations. Not long ago, I posted on uh, a Yahoo uh, list called Brethren Online asking if anyone knew of any persecuting, uh, persecuted brethren abroad. And I'm still trying to confirm uh, directly and correspond with the one who put out this report. But it was stated that uh, a group of disciples in Eritrea uh, who'd been meeting since about 2008, they'd been very cautious in where they met and how they met, Recently, uh, were, several of them were taken to prison because they were found with Bibles and uh, Bible study material. Uh, two were said to be murdered and an eight-month-old baby boy was severely burned and the rest are, are in hiding now in fear of their lives. In eastern Ukraine, there are reports of rebels threatening churches with firing squads and storming churches, uh, holding people hostages, and numerous churches, have, uh, uh, their buildings have been looted and occupied by pro-Russian um, militants. I, again, I've, I've, I've been personally trying to find out some information about people in these areas. We know the churches there in eastern Ukraine. And uh, I do know that there are some who have been facing some, some difficulties. I was corresponding... Uh, the other night with uh, J.D. Tant and uh, Brother Tant was telling me that he had seen, he didn't have a copy of it at the time, but he, he had seen uh, someone uh, who had a picture of a militant carrying a bomb through the, the church building of some Christians in Ukraine and now they're having to meet somewhere else. Uh, the, the war is just moving back from town to town and they don't know where they're going to meet. We are so fortunate to be spared. How thankful are we? How much do we thank and pray for other brethren? Do we realize that it could very well come our way? And it could come very quickly. And if it did, we ought not be surprised. It's that way all over the world. We're, we're, we're so isolated in this by the media that we think that it's not going on. It goes on everywhere. We said 75% of the world, the world, has these kinds of problems. There's so many places that I'd like to talk to you about tonight. But I do want to mention North Korea. North Korea, for the 13th consecutive year, North Korea has been ranked number one on the world's watch list for, of the 50 countries that are considered to be uh, the most extreme with their persecution. The godlike worship of the leader Kim Jong-un and his predecessors, they leave little room for any other religions, and Christians face unimaginable pressures. Meeting with other Christians is virtually impossible because they are always on the look. 
Anyone discovered engaging in unauthorized religious activities is subject to arrest, detention, disappearance, torture, and execution. I was reading not long ago uh, of a man named David Hawk. He's a respected human rights investigator. And he had interviewed 40 North Korean people who had escaped North Korea. And he was interviewing them about religion in North Korea. And uh, one of these who were interviewed uh, was a young uh, woman. And she told of a young woman in her 20s who was washing clothes near the Tumen River. It's on the border there between China and North Korea. And while she was picking up her clothes, she dropped a, a book. And uh, it was a Bible, what they thought to be a Bible. Uh, the Koreans, and uh, the North Koreans in their um, the authorities, they called it a Christianity book. It was said to be a Bible. Um, there was another woman there and she turned her into the police. They're fearful not to turn someone in unless they're being seen as conspiring with them. So she was turned in and they took her and her father, who looked to be about 60 years old, they said, and took them in for interrogation, which meant torture. And they kept them there for three months. Finally, one day, she appeared back near the Timon River where she'd washed clothes at the marketplace there. And there was no trial. There was just an announcement of what was going to be their execution. They were tied to stakes there in the marketplace. But before they did, they called out all the children from the elementary school and from the middle school and the high school. And some of the ones who had escaped was, was in that group. And they made them stand very near to the execution. And they shot each one of them three times. And the debris from the bodies went on those people. It's impossible almost to get a copy of the Bible in North Korea. We have such access to the Bible. You can get a Bible anywhere. We have them. Many of us have multiple copies. We have it on our phone. We have it everywhere. You can go to a yard sale. Most time people won't charge you for a Bible. They'll give it to you. You can go to the Dollar Tree and you can get one for a dollar. We have such easy access to the Word of God. And the shame is that everybody's got them and a lot of times they stay in the car or they lay on the pew or they, we don't ever open it up from week to week. We've got the Word of God. The message of salvation. Something that people are longing for. Something that we looked at that through the ages people died for. We're burning at the stake. People would spend years' wages just to get a copy of the Bible or sometimes even a copy of the Gospel to be able to read it. And what do we do? Some groups are making secret trips to, from South Korea up to the DMC border and, and they're releasing helium-filled balloons with copies of the Scriptures uh, attached to them. Some of them, they're just balloons and it's printed on the inside the Gospel of Mark. And they do it when the wind's right and do it under the cover of night so that they won't be caught because there's millions of troops on each side. And so people can pick up copies of the Bible. But Christians who attempt to return to North Korea from China are sentenced to life in prison or they're executed. The government just last year purged 10,000 people that we know of. It's estimated that 50 to 70,000 people are in prison in North Korean labor camps 
because of claiming to believe in Jesus. And then there's Isis. Isis is painting the Middle East red with the blood of those who claim to be Christians. Every day now there's fresh news stories about Christians being slaughtered by Isis in the Middle East. Sometimes you can't, can't hear it on, on the mainstream media. You've got you to gotta dig for it. But it's there. Occasionally we'll just see what they're doing to, to men. And it's terrible. They're beheading them. They're setting them on fire. They're drowning them in cages. They're burning all kinds of books, including especially copies of the Scriptures. They're imprisoning women and marrying them off and raping them. Terrible stories, many that we can't relate in this setting. But it's not just happening to a few men. Every day, hundreds are being slaughtered. And not just men, but babies are being beheaded. And young teenage boys are being crucified. And not just women, but little girls are being raped, gang raped, and left for dead. These atrocities are happening daily. And again, the world seems silent. It ought to tell us what really the world view is of Christians in general. And when it comes to the persecution, they make no distinction of those who are true disciples of Jesus. In fact, they would be looked at as the extremists. These kind of things are going on the world over. And some very disturbing events are taking place in, the, in our country, in the United States. Efforts are being made to transform the United States Army into an anti-Christian institution. Now some people say, oh, that's, that's not true. It is true. In April uh, 2013, U.S. military soldiers were being trained and briefed. Uh, they were given, this was done in Philadelphia, uh, in this training called... Uh, extremism and extreme organizations. It was stated in this training that evangelical Christians are number one threat to America. That's what our military's been taught. Now they made a list there and evangelical Christians were number one on the list above the Muslim Brotherhood, the Ku Klux Klan, the Nation of Islam, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, and others. Who was number one? Evangelical Christians. That's what's been taught to our military. Washington Times reported that a large number of Christians are leaving the military are not joining in the first place because of the hostile work environment that exists for Christians. May uh, 2013, USA Today reported that U.S. military Personnel could face court-martial for sharing their Christian faith with others. Pentagon confirmed that religious proselytization is not permitted uh, within the Department of Defense, and court-martials and non-judicial punishments would be decided on a case-by-case basis. So if you speak to anybody about the Lord, about the gospel, you could be court-martialed. 
in the United States Army now. And that's been going on for some while. What, what makes all these changes? Why, why is the big change taking place? Well, consider Mickey Weinstein, for example. He was picked by President Obama to be the consultant to the Pentagon concerning new policies on religious tolerance. Picked to be an advisor about religious tolerance. Who is he? He's an atheist activist. That's who he is. And he made this statement. We face incredibly well-funded gangs of fundamentalist Christian monsters who terrorize their fellow Americans by forcing their weaponized and twisted version of Christianity upon the helpless subordinates in our nation's armed forces. Now this is who the president chose to advise those in the Pentagon to make changes for religious tolerance. They're not being tolerant toward Christianity. He made this press release, this just this past year in, in November. Weinstein alleged that Christians in America could pose the same kind of threat as the terrorist group ISIS does in the Middle East. And that's what our military has been taught. And that's their policies. Back in December uh, 2012, Weinstein was named one of the 100 most influential people in the U.S. defense by Defense News. It's that kind of influence that's changing our country. And it's going to be changing how we face things in this world. Disturbing developments are not only seen in our military, but also among our public authorities. For example, Colorado troopers were trained by the Department of Homeland Security to consider Christians as dangerous terrorists. These were declared dangerous groups. They declared dangerous groups to be Americans who found uh, who found God, founded upon godly principles. If you believe America was founded on godly principles, then you, troopers need to watch out for you. Those who take the Bible literally or fundamentalist. Department of Homeland Security is teaching those who are in public authority to to be on the look for these people, that this is the problem. You consider a man like Errol Soothers. He faces in almost every facet of government. This man was an FBI agent and a Homeland Security specialist. He was President Obama's choice to, to head the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration. And he, he backed off of that because of a lot of opposition. Uh, but he is now still, he's involved with it. He's the Associate Director of the uh, Department of Homeland Security of the National Center of, of Risk and Economic Analysis for Terrorism Events. In other words, he, he's the watchdog for who is going to be terrorist. And in a taped interview, this is what he said. He said, the people we got to look out for is this. He said, the most, most of the domestic groups we had to pay attention to in most cases are anti-abortionists and Christian, uh, Christian identity-oriented people. In other words, if you identify yourself as anti-abortion and as a Christian, you're on the top of their list as being a terrorist. This is all through our government. And repercussions of such attitudes is being seen in our country. For example, uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, and this is a place where uh, about half the population 
are Arab. I think there's about 100,000 people there, 40,000 are Arab Americans. Uh, there were some individuals there who were handing out religious tracts outside an Islamic festival, and they were stoned by the Muslims, and the police stood by and did nothing, and finally arrested the ones who were handing out the tracts. Persecution can come and things can change quick, can't they? These are happening. This this been several years ago. You look back, May 2014, a homosexual couple sued a bakery in Colorado, a Masterpiece Bakery. They sued them because they wouldn't make them a wedding cake, said they were discriminated against. And they won their case. You take Anise Parker, Houston's openly gay mayor, who, by the way, calls her uh, her partner the first lady. She issued subpoenas demanding that a group of ministers turn over their sermons dealing with homosexuality and gender, and those who would fail to do so, fail to comply, were threatened with contempt of court. Now, they finally got that turned around, but that's what's going on. What are we going to do? We ought not be surprised if the world hates us. In 2015, just this year, in April, just a couple months ago, you remember hearing in the news probably about the pizza parlor, Memories Pizza, who was threatened with phone calls and, and comments on social media after refusing to cater a same-sex wedding. They closed the doors for a while. They eventually opened back up but they were taken to court and uh, they didn't really realize that they were going to be, but they became the battleground for Indiana's now new revised uh, religious freedom law. Now they came up with a, a pretty good law at first. It only lasted a week. The law first stated that uh, if you wanted to refuse uh, to serve to anyone, even if it was a homosexual, if that, that was your choice as a uh, business owner, that you could do that. But big business and big corporations and organizations made such an outcry that the lawmakers in Indiana caved in and rewrote the law. And now it, it basically says that you cannot discriminate against gays and lesbians, effectively making them a class like gender or race. And the homosexuals cheered. Our nation continues to make rapid and overwhelming change away from biblical principles. It was only, what, 2004? That Massachusetts was the first state to legalize same-sex marriages? That's just 11 years ago, right? 11 years. Now, the young people, 11 years seems like a long time. The older you get, 11 years is not anything, is it? But really, 11 years is not a very long period of time. That we had the first state to legalize same-sex marriages. In fact, just, just two years ago, there was just, what, 12 states that legalized homosexuality and their, the marriage of homosexuals? How quick it changed. Now, just this past month, as we all very well know, the Supreme Court, in a 5-1 decision, made marriage 
for same-sex couples legal nationwide declaring that to refuse to grant marriage license to gay and lesbians violates the Constitution of the United States of America and denied all states the right to decide for themselves. I want to tell you, it's been pushed, hasn't it? And it's been pushed hard in the last 10 years. It's in our face, isn't it? It's on television. Hollywood's pushing it. It's in their commercials. It's, it's on the internet. It's pushed by the media. It's being pushed, pushed, pushed. Terrible atrocities have happened this week that are, I'm unable to even speak of in our audience this week. Public opinion has drastically changed in the past few years. The first Gallup poll that took place back in 1996, only 27% of the people said that they would agree or approve of same-sex marriage. And the most recent poll that was just taken a month ago, 60% said that they would agree to it. People are so gullible and so people are so removed from the teaching of God's Word. When posting articles about this on the internet, uh, we are bashed and you're the bigot. We, we've talked about how that persecution, and we've seen this from the blood of Abel on, that when people were persecuted, don't get in our minds, especially we sing a song, the faith of our father. We look at those, we look at men like uh, Elijah and we see them as heroes and they are heroes of faith. But the world didn't view them that way. When those men were persecuted and they took their lives, they were hated. They were looked at the scum of society. They had no use to live. They were looked as troublemakers. When Ahab, who at that time was the ruler of the nation, when he saw Elijah, he said, "Who are the troubler of Israel. That's how he was looked upon. Jezebel said, I'm going to kill him. You know, when people die, as a result of persecution, they're looked as, as bigots. You know, if persecution comes our way and you have to face death for persecution, for standing for, for truth, you'll go down as, as those who are ignorant of truth. Because truth, real truth, is just all about love and toleration. And you don't really know any truth, and if you point out anything or you, you say that anybody's wrong, then... You're the one that's wrong. And such people will be persecuted. You know, you think about, and time fails us to describe in detail uh, so many things I like to talk about. This has even changed since, we've, since I've, I've done this. This is everywhere now, not just in New York, but many are being threatened with criminal persecution for refusing to issue same-sex marriage license. Uh, attempting to delegate responsibility after the passage of same-sex law in that state. Now it's every state. And we've seen it even in Rutherford County. Some of the people had to walk out, walked off their jobs, lost their jobs because they refused to obey the law of man. Postgraduate counseling student State University in Michigan was expelled from the program because she asked if she could refer a homosexual client to another counselor, and she cited that uh, her Christian beliefs was the reason for her referral, and she was expelled. They wouldn't grant it. 
Politicians in Chicago and Boston, you remember, threatened to prevent Chick-fil-A from opening new franchises in their cities because its owners made a public stance just on the biblical definition of marriage. It's affecting businesses. It's affecting people in their work and in their school. We said that too is persecution. Federal judge threatened all participants in a Texas high school graduation ceremony, including the school's valedictorian, with jail time if they offered prayer at the ceremony. Jail time if you pray. Pharmacists in Illinois and Washington State were ordered at the risk of losing their professional license to stock and sell possible abortion causing drugs, uh, causing drugs against their conscience. You either sell it, you either stock it, or you lose your license. The IRS harassed pro-life organizations and were asked intrusive questions regarding the content of the prayers of their members. They want to know what you pray. Nurses in a state-funded hospital around, around and this happens all around the nation, they've been threatened with termination for refusing to participate in abortion procedures on religious and moral grounds. Uh, this is just a few of over 600 documented, you want to see them, I can give them to you. Over 600 documented instances of state, local, federal encroachments on religious freedoms in recent years. And my friends, it's not getting any better. And we ought not be surprised. We ask the question, what does this mean for us as God's people? The answer is, if trends continue and history follows suit, persecution toward God's people is going to escalate in frequency and it's going to increase in severity. Again, I'm not trying to be a prophet. I'm not telling you. I don't know what will happen. But if things continue to go, and it's been like it was, as the Lord said, from the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel, that the righteous people of God have been persecuted, and history shows that though there may be lulls in, in some places, it always comes back, and the Lord says, you'll be hated because of my name. Indeed, all who desire to be live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And he said, you ought not be surprised at the fire ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing's happening to you. And don't be surprised, he says, if they hate you. John said this. Jesus did. It's recorded in John 3, 19. He says, this is the judgment. That light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than the light, and their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear of his deeds being exposed. That's that battle between the seed of woman and the seed of Satan that's been going on from the beginning, from the blood of Abel. It's still going on today. And the darker this world gets, the darker our society gets, then the brighter the light of Christ and the lives of His righteous people will shine forth and expose their darkness, and the more they'll hate those who expose it. And it's getting worse. People openly blaspheme. And they hate those who are of Jesus Christ. But we ought not be surprised, as we say, it's been that way from the beginning. From the blood of Abel. Why? Because those who are evil hate those who are righteous and will even murder them. And therefore, 
we conclude our lesson tonight, do not be surprised if the world hates you. We've got to be ready for it, don't we? That's what we're going to talk about tomorrow night. Blessed are those who are persecuted. We need to know how to view it. How do you view persecution? How do you deal with it? How do you prepare for it and overcome it? That's what we'll be looking at tomorrow night. I hope you can come back and be with us. We've got to be prepared. I tell you, there's a lot of people not going to be prepared. Not only are people not going to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, any time that God comes in judgment, even upon a nation, people are not prepared. But we must be prepared. Some people are going to be caught by surprise. Some people who claim to be Christians, to be members of the church, are going to be surprised. There's a lot of people, that they may go to church, but they're not active members of the church, the body of Christ. They're not interested in growing and studying and preparing so that they can have the kind of faith that we sang about tonight that we would be willing to stand and count it as rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so busy, so busy with our own self-centered lives and we're running here and running there and running our kids to every ball game and school activity that we don't have time to even teach our own children and prepare them for what might be coming. We're so involved with our own selfishness and we're mesmerized by trinkets and technology that we have no time for God. And if that be the case, then we'll be surprised and it'll, we'll be swept away. But the Bible tells us to be prepared. And we need to trust in God who's the ruler of all nations and rules them with a rod of iron. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He tells us if we'll live and serve Him and be faithful even unto death, He'll give us a crown of life no matter what comes. You believe that? You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, been raised from the dead. Won't you confess that tonight? Come, bow before Him. Give your life to Him. Submit to Him in obedience. Being baptized will assist you. And you can clothe yourself with Jesus and have your sins washed away. Won't you come right now while we stand and sing the song?